Oh, good morning, everybody. What a great day to be alive, hey? I'm trying to spruce up a little bit. I think a nice jacket given to me by a friend. If I hobble their new shoes, so I'm like, oh, oh. All righty. Well, it's good to be, it's good to be here. It's good to be with you all. I just got to say, I love this church. I love you all. You are amazing. And um, it's a good day to be alive, isn't it? God's on, God's on the move. He's about good things. And so, um, last few weeks, I've really, uh, I felt from a uh, message that Duncan gave a couple of weeks ago from John, 18, uh, John 20, um, where Jesus says, as the Father sent me, so I'm sending you. I really felt that burning in my heart over the last few weeks, and uh, I want to just pick up a little more about that this week. So I'm going to jump straight in and ask you to turn to John chapter 17. John chapter 17, it's a prayer of Jesus. It's known as the, the high priestly prayer. It's the prayer that Jesus prays. He's praying just before he goes to the cross. It's his, uh, I think it's probably more for us than for him. But he's outlining his passion and his desire and, um, and there's some really instructive things within that. Um, I've got to say, and I'm going to touch on this a little bit more, but John did an amazing, amazing message last week. I listened to it online. We were away in England, got back on, on Wednesday. But John, it was a phenomenal message. So good. If you haven't listened to it, uh, it, it will be up on the website. Uh, and I really, really encourage you to, to listen to it. I'm going to touch a little bit on it now. But, um, th- but the fullness of what he unpacked was, uh, was amazing. So, uh, John 17, we're going to start in verse 6, and I'm going to read through to verse 19. I have manifested, this is Jesus praying, I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you and they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world. I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except for the son of destruction that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in, your, in the truth. Your word is truth. As you have sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself, that they also may be sanctified in the truth. What an amazing passage of Scripture. Let's just pray. Father, we love you and we worship you. We thank you, Jesus, that you are the living word, that you are the truth. And we ask that you would speak deeply into our hearts. You'd bring about fresh revelation to us this morning. Lord, that your truth would set us free. Lord, that you would, that you would this morning, as you do every day, fulfill this prayer in us. 
Thank you, Holy Spirit. We love you. We worship you. We honor you. Thicken your presence, God. Thank you, Lord, that the, your word is spirit and, in tr- and it's truth. It's life and it's spirit. So we open up our hearts to you, Lord. Yes, what an amazing passage. As I said, it's Jesus praying before he goes to the cross. And, it, and I just want to unpack a, little, a few little things. You know, so Jesus is praying. He, what he's saying is, I've given them the words that you've given me. I've given them the truth. And they understand that, you, that I was sent from you. They understand that I came from you, that everything that I have comes from you. They understand that. And so Jesus is saying, thank you, Lord, for enabling me, for helping me. They've actually got it. They've understood it. But what he's then saying in verse 19 is somehow that's not quite enough. It's not just enough to know who Jesus is. It's not just enough to know that the Father has sent Jesus. There was something else that Jesus wanted to accomplish. Because as he prays then in verse 18 and um, Uh, sorry, verse 17, it says, sanctify them in the truth. They understand the truth. They know who I am, but would you sanctify them in the truth? For my sake, sorry, for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. There's something that Jesus wants us to understand beyond just knowing who he is, beyond just knowing that the Father was sent, that he was sent by the Father, beyond just knowing that he, the works that he did were by the power of the Holy Spirit. There's something that he wants us to understand. And he's saying, sanctify them in the truth, lead them into truth. What does sanctify mean? What's well, a technical term, basically what it means is to be consecrated, to be set apart. The root word actually is the same word for holy. So what he's saying is, I want you, Father, I want you to sanctify them. I want you to set them apart. I want them to be consecrated. I want them to be holy. I want them to be pure. I want them to be so transformed by your truth that they're set apart, just like I've been set apart. But then he says, so here's how we're going to do it. I'm going to sanctify myself. I'm going to set myself apart that they may be set apart. And so what's Jesus talking about? As he's going before the cross, he's saying, it's not just enough to know about me. What I want to do on the cross is to take you to a whole new level of revelation. It's a whole new level of consecration, of holiness, and of purity. So that word sanctify means to be set apart. Priests in the Old Testament, they were sanctified. What that meant was they they were consecrated and they were made holy. They were set apart and they were given an office, a particular function. You're not to be like everyone else. This now comes with it, a level of holiness and purity that is, that is, is required of you because you are now fulfilling this priestly function. The same could be said with prophets in the Old Testament. They were sanctified, they were consecrated, they were set apart, told to be holy to not be like everyone else, but to be separate. Why? For purpose. It had a purpose. It was Part of the consecration was a commissioning into purpose, a commissioning into a mission that God had. And that mission was to be performed in holiness and purity. And so Jesus, he's saying, sanctify them. What I wanted you to do, Lord, is I want you to set them apart for the mission of God. I want you to set them apart for the holiness and the purity of God. I want you to set them apart for a life that reflects the beauty and the glory of heaven, not the world around them. And so that's what Jesus' mission was on the cross. His mission to bring us into the purpose and the mission of God, the the co-mission together with God, the mission to set us apart and to be holy. 
His sanctifying himself means, I'm going to do your will, Father. I'm going to the cross. I'm looking to, I'm going to be obedient to you for death and resurrection. Because in that moment, I know that as I go to the cross, as, I'm in, as I die on the cross, what is going to be released is the purpose and the mission of God for my disciples, for the whole world. So he's sanctifying and setting himself apart for God's mission. That we would be sanctified and set apart for God's mission. Let's have a look at the cross. In Colossians chapter uh, 1 verse uh, 19 and 20, it says that Jesus has made, uh, brought about reconciliation between heaven and earth, in on the cross, making peace by the blood of his cross. Everything that was in heaven that was disjointed and disconnected from earth because of the sin of the earth, on the cross, Jesus is saying, I'm reconciling heaven to earth. I'm bringing the mission of heaven to earth. I'm releasing you into the mission of heaven on the earth. The reconciling the not just individuals, but reconciling the cosmos, which is what I love about what John preached last week. What John preached was last week was that, 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 that your mission, that you're all on a mission. That we're all on a mission, that we all have a ministry together, that we're all being called into something, but that what we've been called into is not the church, it's actually because of Jesus reconciling heaven and earth, it means that, and he's him coming to seek and save that which was lost, what he's come to seek and save is all things, not just the church. He's come to seek and to save and to redeem culture. He's come to seek and to save and redeem systems of thought, education, government, business, the arts, all the seven mountains. He's come to reform and, and see the kingdom of God established that those things would be righteousness and power and glory and goodness and they would reflect who he is. His dream wasn't just for you and I on the cross. His, what he's doing is he's reconciling the whole of Durham. He's reconciling Chapel Hill. He's reconciling the education system that is taught in Duke and, and you know, UNC and, and NC State and all the other places around. He's reconciling us to our purpose, which is not just to be in the church, but is actually, as John so wonderfully preached last week, is to see our work and our life as our ministry because, because he's reconciled our workplaces. Because on the cross, on the blood of his cross, he's made peace so that your work now becomes your worship. And your work now becomes your mission and your ministry. So how's your ministry been this week? How have you been? How's your ministry been? How's your pastorate this week, everybody? How are your sheep? How are the people that God's given you responsibility over to bring them into life? How are the systems of thought that are around you, how are they doing? How are they being reconciled to heaven through you? That's the mission. That's the mandate. That Jesus is saying, I'm sanctifying myself because I want them to step into the purpose. And the purpose of God is that all things are now reconciled. And what we want to see is we want to see the whole world now reflecting who God is. Reconciled to his purpose sanctified, set apart. Your work is your worship. Your work is your ministry. It's actually the most holy thing you can do. It's to pursue the purpose of God in your life, where you are. 
You know, you're on a mission. Jesus is saying, I sanctify myself. I've, I've gone to the, I'm going to the cross for the express purpose of bringing you into that same mission where all things are now reconciled, heaven and earth reconciled together. As the Father sent me, so I'm sending you. And where is Jesus sending us? Well, he's sending us into the world, right? As you sent me into the world, so I'm sending them, John 17, he says. And, and, and what he's, he's sending us to seek and to save that which was lost. Which includes people, but is so much more than that. So you've been set apart, you've been consecrated, you've been made holy. You've been on this, you've been joined into the co-mission of God through the cross and his resurrection. That was his purpose for us. We've been reconciled. And his purpose in that, in going to the cross, was to destroy the works of the enemy. And we see the works of the enemy in all the systems around us, right? In all the things around us. We see the works of the enemy in the government. We see the works of the enemy in, the, in media. We see the works of the enemy in individuals. We see the work of the enemy in our businesses. We see the work of the enemy in destroying families, in bringing fatherlessness. We see the work of the enemy in all of those things. But the commission of Jesus, the purpose of him sanctifying himself and then bringing us into that, was to attack and to destroy the works of the enemy. That's your commission tomorrow morning. Destroy the works of the enemy. That's your commission on Tuesday. Destroy the works of the enemy. Stand in the victory of the cross. Stand in the reconciliation of heaven and earth. Stand in the glory of the Holy Spirit who is now releasing heaven to earth. Not so that we can have a nice church service. Not just so that we can look good on a Sunday morning. But that we can actually transform the world around us because that's what Jesus has paid for. That's what he's looking for. That was his mission. To reconcile all things. And the purpose that we have is to take back or to, to take what Jesus has already won for us. And the good thing is we're on a winning team. We can't fail because Jesus has already won. We're not trying to reconcile heaven and earth. It's already been reconciled by heaven, by Jesus. So we've got this, we're set apart, we're holy. And I, and I want you to know, when John, again, we preached on this last week, it's, there's no secular and sacred divide. It's not like the people that work for the church like me are holy and the rest of you, because you don't get to work for the church, sorry, poor you, aren't quite so holy. You're not set apart for purpose. You're not consecrated. That's not true. That's rubbish. You are called. You are commissioned. Jesus has sanctified himself for you to fulfill your purpose and your destiny. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10, as we've been recreated for purpose and destiny, I love it how it says this in the Today English version or the Good News Bible of Ephesians 2.10. God has made us who we are. You could also say God has put us where we are. Well, it doesn't say that in this translation. That's not what the Greek says. But you could, you know, by extension, God has made us who we are. He's put us where we are. And in our union with Christ Jesus... He has created us for a life of good deeds, which he has already prepared for us to do. 
That's the mission of the cross. Union with Christ Jesus, united with him, now one with him, now in his co-mission, sanctified, set apart, consecrated, holy, for the purpose of seeing the world reconciled. It's beautiful. And not just trying hard, but now filled with the Holy Spirit. Because that's also part of Jesus' sanctification, of going to the cross. When he said, I'm going to the, I've sanctified myself, he said, I'm going to the cross. What he's doing, he's, he's going to take away all of our sin, to reconcile heaven to earth, and then to be glorified, and from his place of glorification, send the Holy Spirit to empower us to be sanctified and to enter into that commission. Not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord God. We're armed and dangerous because we have the Holy Spirit. Sanctify, set apart. It means to be set apart, but it also actually means to be holy. And so let's just talk a little bit about that because on the cross, what we also experience is the power of God coming to us to set us, to be sanctified, to be holy, to be set apart for him, no longer slaves to sin. That's good news, isn't it? It's not just, a, you know, when we talk about being set apart it's not, and, and talk about holiness, it's not just a, it would be a nice thing to do. It's actually mission critical. To be holy and to be pure is what Jesus has won for us. It's what enables us to stand and make a difference. It's, it's what enables us to look and feel different from the world around us. Jesus said, I want, he's praying, they're in the world, but I don't want them to be of it. I want them to look different. I want them to smell like me, not smell like the world. I want them, when people to see them, I want them to see Jesus. Like they said in Acts chapter 3 or Acts chapter 4, you know, the, the religious leaders, they look at Peter and James and they, they're seeing the great things that they're doing and they're seeing the words that are coming out of their mouth and they're saying, wow, these guys must be with Jesus. They took note of that because their lives look different. And so the holiness to be holy and to be pure is actually to fulfill your purpose and your destiny in God. It's who he's called you to be. It's what the cross has paid for. And in, in Colossians 2, I'm going to just spend a few, little, few moments in Colossians 2. Talking, uh, looking at verse 9, it says this in Colossians 2 verse 9. For in him the whole fullness of deity, this is in Jesus, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily and you have been filled in him. Just put your hand on your heart for a moment and say, I've been filled in him. I've been filled by the Holy Spirit. All that I need is on the inside of me. All that we need. Just a little detour for a minute. John, 1 John 3, it says that the, 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 if we abide in him, the, the way that we know that we abide in him is that we have the Holy Spirit on the inside of us, and the Holy Spirit is the one who leads us into truth. You have access to the spirit of truth. You actually don't need anyone to teach you. You have the Holy Spirit, Right? You have the Holy Spirit, the anointing that's abiding on the inside of you. That's not, I'm not saying don't come to church because, you know, we need to gather together. But, you know, you don't, in one sense, I want to just, I want to let myself on the hook. You don't, you don't off the hook. You don't need me. You have the Holy Spirit. 
the anointing that resides on the inside of you. So just take another moment, put your hand on your chest, on your heart, and just say, everything that I need, I have on the inside. Thank you, Holy Spirit. So back to Colossians 2, 9. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. I want to talk a little next week about power and authority. But uh, in him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. What an epic, epic passage of scripture. And so Jesus is saying, hey, I'm consecrating myself so that, Father, that you would consecrate them. Because I want them to be in the world, but not of it. And this would be really, really, really bad news if we were following the law. It would be really, really bad news if all we had to live with was a set of rules and regulations because you'd be miserable all the time. Have you ever been in a job where you're just, you're just not quite getting it right and you know that you're not performing as well as you could do? I have. I had that once a couple of months in, when I was working in Sydney uh, for KPMG and it's a thoroughly miserable place. It's not fun at all to be living short of what you think is the purpose or what, you know, the standard that's been set. But the fact is, that this is the other glorious thing, is that Jesus is sanctifying himself. In other words, the answer doesn't lie in our performance. The answer lies in the fact that Jesus has sanctified himself, which is the work of the cross. And so we see this, this, I think, within this passage, there's four images. There's the image of the circumcision in verse, verse 11 and in verse 13. Well, what's all that about? Well, you know, uh, Genesis chapter 17, God has a covenant with Abraham. He says to Abraham, Abraham, I'm going to bless you. In fact, he was called Abraham, and he says, I'm going to call you Abraham, and I'm going to make you the father of multitudes, and you're going to be blessed. And everybody that, you know, that uh, you're going to be blessed to be a blessing. Everybody that bl- blesses you will be blessed. Everyone who curses you will be cursed. Something like that, right? And so, but he says, and this is the sign. What I want you to do is cut off a little piece of flesh from all the male, and that's the circumcision. That got enshrined in the law of Moses. That became part of the covenant of God, right? A consecration, a setting apart to say these are the people that now God has chosen because they're missing a piece of skin. Just put it delicately, right? (laughs) I'm trying to be delicate, right? One of my favorite descriptions of... uh, yeah, it's too late, I'm winning. One of my favorite descriptions in, uh, in, I think it's in Joshua chapter 5 or 6, when they go across to Jordan, they consecrate themselves, and there's this place that they call Gibeah Harloth. You know what that means? Hill of Foreskins. Yeah. 
as a sign of consecration. But the thing is, the thing about that was that that was a sign of an external covenant and of a law that they had to keep, but it actually wasn't any good for fulfilling their righteous requirements of God because sin was dwelling on the inside. Because of the sin on the inside, the external law on the outside, what, got, what, what overcame their behavior every single time was the law of sin on the inside, even though the law of God on the outside coming in was good, the law of sin on the inside always made them, the Israelites fall short. I don't know if you've ever tried to keep laws. It's really, really hard. You, you fall short, you fall short. But what, so what Jesus is saying is on the cross, Paul here is saying on the cross, the mission of Jesus was to actually take away the, the piece of skin, the, the thing that was symbolic of Abraham and Moses in the covenant, which was the setting aside and the consecration. What he's done for us in Christ is to take the whole of the flesh, all of our old man, all the things that were of the old man where we were slaves to sin and slaves to the enemy and we couldn't do what we wanted to do. We knew what God wanted us to do but we couldn't do it and he's taken all of that and he's lopped it off on the cross so that you're no longer slaves to the flesh. It's been circumcised from you. It's taken out of your heart. That propensity to sin, that propensity to be just stuck in the negative, no longer there, taken off. That's good news, isn't it? That's a beautiful cross. And so it's, you've been circumcised, but it's, been, it's, it's, it's made without hands. In other words, it's God's activity setting you apart, consecrating you on the cross, Jesus dealing with your flesh. And then in the, in the next one, verse 12, you've been buried with him in baptism, and, you were, and then you were raised with him through faith. You were buried, and now you're raised. You were dead, and now you're alive. That's the, mess, that's the mission of the cross. To put us to death, to that flesh. To put us to death so that the law, we no longer have to come under its power because we've died to it. To put us to death so that the power of the enemy, we've died to the power of the enemy. We've been put to death. We've been buried with him in baptism. We've been raised to life. We were dead in our trespasses and our sins and the uncircumcision of our flesh, verse 13. But God has made you alive. You've gone from death to life. You've gone from sinner to forgiven. We've gone from uh, enemy to friend on the cross. And then I love this, verse 14. Actually, I love the way that the NASB says verse 14. Verse 14, it says he's given us freedom from the certificate of debt with its decrees against us that are hostile to us. In other words, the list of all the things that we've done wrong, all the things that we're aware of, all of our shortcomings, all the things of the law that we've fallen short of the glory of God and we've all fallen short of him, all of those things have been hostile against us. It's been the power of the enemy to say, hey, they didn't measure up here. Hey, they didn't measure up there. Hey, they fell short here. Hey, he lied. Hey, he cheated. Hey, he looked lustfully. And Jesus comes along and he says, well, I've got, actually got really bad news for you. The law says don't do this in action. I'm saying don't do this in thought. And so not so that then the hostile demands are saying, well, hey, listen, hey, I saw how you drove and you swore at that person. I saw how you had anger in your heart. You just murdered them. Hostile. Record of debt against us in your face. Have you ever tried to run a race where it's like those, some of those uh, crazy 
runs, I, I would never do this because it sounds completely psychotic to me, but you know those runs where you're running and people are chasing after you and they're tough mudders or whatever they are, right? Crazy, but you know, running, but this thing always in the face, in the face, in the face, getting in hostile to us. Jesus, what he's done on the cross is he's taken it away. He's moved it out of the side, out of the way so that you can run freely and he's nailed it to the cross so it can't follow you. And so when he's saying, be holy, under the law would be an impossible task, but because we've been circumcised by God, because we've been made alive with him, because we've been raised to life with him, because he's canceled the debt, actually it's become the easy thing. We've gone from being in a battle that we can't win to being in a battle that we can't lose. And so the message Jesus saying, I'm sanctifying myself, I'm going to the cross, I'm gonna, I'm gonna take all of their sin, I'm gonna take all of their debt, I'm gonna take all their uncleanness and all their death, and I'm gonna scratch it all out. And I'm gonna give them my life so that they can live holy, so that they can fulfill the great prayer of Jesus. Sanctify them, that they would be in the world but not of it. He's disarmed the rulers and authorities, stripping them of their power. That word disarmed could be translated in two ways. It could be translated as stripped of like weapons. So you come and if a guy has a gun, you take, him, take the gun off them and that's the disarming. Or it actually can also mean being stripped naked. And it's like, the, 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 you could t take it either way. The enemy had power over us in, in hostility and anger that would always point out our flaws and, our, and keep us bound and locked in shame. And the Lord has taken away those things because now when he looks at your life, what he sees is the perfection of Christ. What he sees is the new nature made in righteousness, created after the image of who God is taken away the guns of the, holy, of, 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 of the devil. But also what he's done, if you like, it's like the, the, the whole cosmos was covered with this blanket, this cloth of, of, uh, of power to the enemy, the enemy's power covering everything. And what Jesus has done is he's taken that and he's thrown it off and he's stripped them naked, put them into open shame, triumphing. Do you know that your life and my life should actually be a life of triumph over sin? Not because of our own goodness, but because of the power of the cross. But because of the cleansing blood of Jesus. Because of his beauty and perfection that's now been credited to our life. Sanctify them, Lord. Make them holy. Sanctify them. And so we live in this, in this place of victory that we can't lose. Just quick, quick, let's quickly just finish. I'm going to finish with this in Romans chapter 6. As Paul, he's reflecting, it's another passage where he's outlining salvation and how we've been you know, put to death with Christ and been raised with Christ and we're now no longer slaves to sin, but we're slaves to righteousness. Let me say that again. You're not a slave to sin. I am not a slave to sin. I am a slave to righteousness. Righteousness is my new nature. Righteousness should be easier for me than sin. It should be easier for me 
to not live in fear than to live in fear. It should be easier for me to not live in lust than to live in lust. Because we've been filled with the power of God. Because our sin has been dealt with on the cross because we now have the Holy Spirit upon us on the inside of us. And so Paul says this, there's three little instructions that Paul gives just to make it, we're just trying to tone it into some really practical thing here. So verse 11 of Romans 6, consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God. Other translations say reckon, consider, consider yourself dead. You've already died to sin. Why are you thinking about it? Is basically what he's saying. Consider yourself dead to sin. That moment where you're on the, on the computer and a little pop-up appears. That moment where, where, where you're with your friends and you are, um, you know, there's, there's a, 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 a pressure to maybe have another drink or to smoke a cigarette or, you know, to take some pot. I mean, if my friends, my, my kids talk about this at, at, uh, at, at school, you know, they t- some of the kids take such a religious view. They say, well, the smoking pot isn't in the Bible, so let's just do it. God says in the word, don't be drunk on wine. I think what he's saying, the principle is, uh, don't let anything have mastery over you. So when you get drunk, you're no longer in control of yourself. I would probably put drugs and pot in the same place. And so what he's saying is, listen, don't consider yourself dead to sin. When temptation comes along, just say, actually, I'm dead to that. When I'm walking along the street, you know, being in, um, you know, being a male, you know, I was walking along, when you're walking along the street, sometimes something catches your eye. It's the beauty of God. Now, you, you know, it's okay to enjoy the beauty of God, but to have second or third looks probably is not good. There's no probably about it. Jesus says, if you look at a woman lustfully in your heart, you've committed adultery with them. Ouch. So I see something out of the corner of my eye. I've got a choice. Am I going to sow into that or am I going to sin? No, I'm dead to sin. But I'm alive to God. I'm dead to sin, but I'm alive to God. And then that moment of, okay, Holy Spirit, I need you right now in this moment. I'm alive to you. (sighs) We're in a battle we can't lose because we have the Holy Spirit. And so Paul says, reckon yourself dead to sin. Think in your life, you're going along in your life, I am dead to sin, I'm not alive to it. I am dead to sin. I've been called to be holy and pure and spotless and blameless. That's what Jesus has already done for me. I'm walking in that purity. And then he goes on to say in verse 12, don't let sin reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Don't let sin reign. You know, sin reigns for a variety of reasons sometimes. Sometimes for me, sin reigns. I, 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 give, I, I, I give in to the pressure of temptation, uh, particularly, this, I think I've shared this with you, know, with you before, particularly things sometimes around things like fear, which is sin. But sin, sometimes it feels like it's, it's raining. Sometimes it's some of those things are hard to overcome, Right? 
Sometimes you feel like you're bound in sin. Sometimes you feel like you just can't escape. You're in a pattern and in a cycle where things are really good for a while and then for some reason you come under some pressure and you become, you fall into this trap and you find yourself in the same sin again. Ever experienced that? But Paul's saying, don't let sin reign in your mortal body. But it, sin reigns because sometimes there's actually deeper wounds of our heart that require us to bring them to the Holy Spirit, to allow the Holy Spirit to bring light and to say, Holy Spirit, I really need you here. I'm not to let sin reign in my body. I'm finding that difficult. What do I need to know? Holy Spirit, where is the root? What is the issue in my heart? What is life? Where, where do I need to, what do you want to come and put your finger on to bring release because I know I'm called to live, not in obedience to the passions of the flesh, but to live fully alive in you. And then he says, don't present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. I like to do this. I like to say, Lord, I give you my eyes. I give you my ears. I give you my taste. I give you my touch. I give you my feet. I give you my actions. I give you my agenda. I give you my time. Would you make it as instrument of righteousness? I present them to you, Lord. Jesus saying, I want you to walk in righteousness. I want you to sanctify them, Lord. I don't want you to tolerate sin. I don't want you to look like the world. I want you to live in who I've made you to be. I don't want you to be gossipers. I don't want you to be unforgiving. I don't want you to be full of anger. I don't want you to be full of bitterness. I don't want you to be slaves to pornography. I don't want you to be a slave to fear. I don't want you to be skulking around just, you know, backbiting and speaking ill of each other. It's not who you are. It's not who I am. It's not who the Holy Spirit on the inside of me is. I'm consecrated. I'm set apart. I'm holy. I'm pure. I'm righteous because of the blood of Jesus. I'm filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. Again, it teaches me, the grace of God that teaches me to say no to sin, but to say yes to God. The gospel, the call, Jesus saying, as I send, as the Father sent me, I've sent you. I've sent you in consecrated in purpose. I've, I've sent you consecrated in action and in heart and in thought, I'm sending you. But I'm not sending you ill-equipped, I'm sending you in the power of the cross, in the power of my victory, and in the freedom of the Holy Spirit. Don't be bound to the yoke of slavery. I've got some things in my life where I know that there are, you know, margins where I am living short of the glory of God. And I don't want to tolerate it. I don't want to live in that. I don't want to live short of the purpose that he's called me to. Because what Jesus has won for me is far in excess of that. As the Father sending me, sent me, so I'm sending you. In purity. In freedom. In righteousness. To be of the world, in the world, but not of the world. To be different, 
for people to look at your life and to say, there's something different about you. I have noticed when everyone's gossiping in the office or everyone's complaining about how bad their boss is, you don't do that. Why not? I've noticed that when it comes to Monday morning, everyone is so upset and so grumpy about the fact that it's Monday, but you're so full of joy and so full of life, and you seem like you're so full of purpose. Why is that? Why are you so happy when everyone else is miserable? Why do you enjoy your job when everyone around you hates your job, their job, or your job? (laughs) Because I've been consecrated. I've been set apart. I'm holy. Jesus has put me in this position to reflect his glory. That my workplace will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord, just like the waters cover the sea. That my college would be filled. And it's not going to make you popular. It's not going to make everybody like you. But all of heaven is going to be standing with you, cheering you on and releasing life and glory to you. I want to invite you to stand. Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the cross of Christ. Thank you for that cosmic reconciliation of heaven to earth. Thank you for victory over the enemy. Thank you that you've forgiven us and you've wiped our slates clean. Thank you that we stand before you holy and blameless and above reproach. Thank you for making peace. And thank you for empowering us with the Holy Spirit. And Lord, our prayer is that we would be sanctified and pure, consecrated and set apart for you in everything that we do. We would do it to you, as to you to bring you glory and fame. And Lord, that we as a people would be so connected to our purpose in God, so full of the love of our Heavenly Father, that he has for us, that he has for the community of believers that we're part of, that he has for the world, joined in as co-lovers of the world with you, Lord, and that we would be pure, and that people as a community would look at Catch the Fire and would say, there's something different about you because you're pure, you don't tolerate sin, you're not like everyone else. So just make that your prayer. If there's anything else you want to just pray, ask the Lord. Lord, maybe, you know, you're maybe aware of some areas of your life where you're falling short or where you feel like you haven't got the victory. You know that sin is reigning a little too much for your liking. Ask the Holy Spirit. Demolish the power of sin in my life. Ask the Holy Spirit. Put your finger on the root issue. The pressure that causes me to sin because I want to live in the fullness of who you've made me to be. And I want to set you some homework this week. The homework this week is every time you feel any 
sense of being led towards sin, you run to the Holy Spirit. The homework is where you feel like you're being beset with something that you ask the Holy Spirit. You have the anointing on the inside of you. You actually don't need anyone to pray for you. You need the Holy Spirit to speak into your life. Because you have the power of the resurrected Christ on the inside. Amen? Great.